Well, this is certainly um, a very pertinent, important, timely, and misunderstood passage. Um, you know, in our society today, some hot items or items that push the hot buttons of a lot of people are now in the forefront, abortion, um, same-sex marriage, and whatnot. Um, they're debated, they're in the forefront, but divorce and contraception almost never get talked about. Um, it's, I think, because it's so accepted now that nobody even questions it, including Catholics. But there's a lot to it, and I'll try my best to try to summarize for you church teaching. Again, not my own personal opinion in terms of, I'm just going to make up stuff that I believe and teach you. I believe fully in the teachings of the church, but that's all I have to do to explain it is, is give you what church teaching says on this matter. Is it easy? No. Is it the way to lead us to eternal life? Yes. All right, Jesus here confirms marriage as being between one man and one woman and for life. He references Genesis. So he goes back to the book of Genesis and he teaches us that true discipleship is not to include concession for weakness. Basically, he's telling them Moses did this because of your hardened hearts. Yes, it's true he did it, but the reason's not really good. It's because you had a hardened heart. So therefore, divorce, basically according to Jesus, is excluded and remarriage becomes adultery. Now let's talk about this. All right, the Greek word, when it's translated here for divorce, means the relinquishment of a legal right. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? Now, Moses allowed a bill of divorce so that it could provide some legal protection for the woman. So Moses allowed a bill of divorce for a woman so she could be released when a man didn't want to take care of her anymore. Her husband through a bill of divorce, was relinquishing her right to her. That's the meaning of the word divorce in the Greek translation. And so the husband was relinquishing his right to her. Now another man would be free to marry her and take care of her. That was really what was happening here. So Jesus is not really saying divorce is acceptable. He's saying that it was an unfortunate concession. But instead of railing on it, what does Jesus do? I was talking with Father Tyler yesterday, and it's not so much focusing on condemning divorce as it is focusing on the beauty of true marriage. Now, Jesus restores marriage to its original purity in the dignity of man and woman at creation. So in other words, Jesus is doing that. He's focusing on the beauty um, of the original purity of the dignity of man and woman in marriage that was given at creation. All right. So God, he said, join them as one, you know, and you are not to dismiss them, husbands. You are not to, 
to dismiss your wife um, because then she's not taken care of. And this was the, the need for Deuteronomy's directive. That the Deuteronomy directive is what it says Moses said that you could give a bill of divorce. All right, now, in this reading, verse 9 here, Jesus says, What God has joined, let no human being separate. So based on this verse and the catechism, we can surmise that in and of itself, divorce is wrong. All right? And even sinful, according to the catechism. Now, please don't turn off the channel yet. Hear, hear me out. There are always exceptions and further explanations. All right. We're going to talk to you about Catechism 2384 and 2385. That basically says divorce is a grave offense against the natural law. All right. It even says, and I'm quoting the catechism here, it is immoral also because it introduces disorder into the family and into society. This disorder brings grave harm to the deserted spouse and to children traumatized by the separation. Then, contracting a new union adds to the gravity of the rupture, permanent adultery. Now, please hear the rest of this because there are circumstances that divorce is allowed. But it was not intended to be that way, Jesus says, from the beginning. Now, Catechism 2386 says this. When can divorce be allowed? Well, the Catechism says it can happen that one of the spouses is the innocent victim of a divorce decreed by civil law. This spouse, therefore, has not contravened the moral law, meaning the spouse has not sinned. Therefore, a there is a considerable difference between a spouse who has sincerely tried to be faithful to the sacrament of marriage and is unjustly abandoned versus one who, through his own grave fault, destroys a canonically valid marriage. Okay. You've heard me use the example of my sister. My sister married for 24 years. All of a sudden, one day out of the blue, her husband announces he's leaving. He has a girlfriend. And he abandoned her and the kids after 24 years of marriage. My sister didn't go to Holy Communion. She thought, I can't. I'm divorced. No, she can she is not guilty of sin because he abandoned her. And so the catechism addresses this. So in these cases, both parties might be culpable or liable for a divorce or maybe only one. But there is a party, the catechism says, that somebody is responsible for the divorce. In other words, somebody bears the responsibility. Now, catechism 2383 says, if civil divorce remains the only possible way for ensuring certain legal rights, the care of children, or protection of an inheritance, surprisingly, 
Divorce can be tolerated and does not constitute a sin, a moral offense. Interesting. Now, I thought it was strange when I had canon law in seminary. Now, I'm going to take you back to seminary here. I thought it was interesting that there was only three reasons given by the catechism that allows divorce. I just read them. Protecting your legal rights, all right, um, ensuring certain legal rights, the care of children, or the protection of an inheritance. I kind of thought, gee, what about things like abuse or things like that? So we'll, we'll, we'll touch on that. Um, well, let's talk about that now. What about abuse? How is a spouse that's under extreme abuse to view divorce? It's very touchy. Canon law. So now we're jumping from the catechism to canon law now. Suggests separation with permission of your bishop, which can still maintain the marriage bond. The hope is that the spouse will change. The spouse will change after this and reconciliation may be possible and the marriage will survive. So for these types of situations, they don't always have to end in divorce. It's when divorce happens usually when after the separation, the abuser remains unwilling to change. And I can probably hear many of you saying, Father, I tried, but the spouse was totally unwilling to change. Now, it has to be also dependent on what you call abuse, okay? Now, somebody's saying, you know, you really frustrate me because, you know, I asked you three times if you could please do this and you didn't do it. That's not abuse, okay? It's kind of like declaring a boss who asks an employee to do something and then the employee screams hostile work environment. Sorry, it's not a hostile work environment. So we have to be careful here. Now, true abuse, now that's different. So what does the catechism say? What does the church say? All right, this can be an indication if this is a case where you separate and the spouse is unwilling to change and doesn't care, the church says this could be an indication that there was never a valid marriage in the first place. So a divorce isn't needed or an annulment would, would clarify that. An annulment is not a Catholic divorce. There is no such thing as divorce in the Catholic faith. An annulment says that a sacramental marriage never existed in the first place. Null, null and void. Annulment. So there, if the spouse separates and there's no change and the other spouse doesn't care, starts dating other people, well, the church says this could be an indication that there was an impediment to having a sacramental marriage or valid marriage in the first place, which would allow the spouse who had to leave to get an annulment. Very interesting. Now let's continue with the canon law. This is 1153. A spouse who occasions, now this is probably the key that most of you have been waiting for, because I've met a lot of people, unfortunately, that have been in severely abusive relationships. 
And there are priests out there that tell them that's not grounds for divorce. Even extreme abuse. Actually, I was taught that. Thank the Lord, I found out that that's wrong. How do I say that's wrong? Because Caddy, excuse me, canon law 1153 says, a spouse who occasions grave danger of soul or body to the other or to the children or otherwise makes the common life unduly difficult. Again, again, we have to define difficult. It doesn't mean, well, you just frustrate me. It means either they are forcing you into like grave sin or your spouse wants to um, make you steal at the store or engage in improper sexual activity, things like this. So anyway, if this spouse occasions grave danger of soul or body to the other spouse or to the children or otherwise makes the common life unduly difficult, it provides the other spouse with a reason to leave either by decree of the bishop or if there is immediate danger in delaying even on their own authority. Again, I would caution, talk to your priest or bishop to understand what circumstances canon law would allow this to happen. Now, canon law does follow up after this statement by saying it's best to get permission first for a separation. That guarantees safety, okay? It doesn't really mention divorce. Again, because there's no such thing as Catholic divorce. Either there was a valid sacramental marriage or there was not. If there was not valid sacramental marriage, then there's an annulment granted by the church, which means there was no marriage. That does not make your children illegitimate. Because at the time, there was a civil marriage. You thought there was a sacramental marriage. And the children were conceived in what was to believe to be true sacramental wedlock. So your children are not considered illegitimate. Many do not seek annulments because they don't want their children to be, to be considered that. No, please don't believe that. Now, the catechism says, if this doesn't work meaning the separation, then divorce could happen for those three reasons I gave. Now, how does this reconcile, though? The Protestants have taken that one passage of Matthew. We just read from Mark, but they have taken that passage of Matthew who says you cannot divorce except for unchastity. Protestants have taken that to mean Oh, my wife was flirting with another man. I'm going to divorce. Even, even the act of unfaithfulness. Actually, the church teaches Matthew's statement about divorce is not allowed except for unchastity doesn't mean what you think it means. The church teaches that unchastity actually means an invalid marriage. That's what the church actually teaches, not adultery not adultery, but an invalid marriage. So they say, the church says, that that couple should split anyway because the marriage was never valid in the first place. 
Hmm. Very interesting. So I want to finish here with a paper I did in seminary on Mark, which is this passage we just read, Mark chapter 10, verse 1 through 12. I did this paper my third year in major seminary, and I learned so much. I also have a talk here on the uh, YouTube and Facebook um, about marriage and divorce that you could reference if you want to go into much more detail. Um, I get into convalidation of marriage and consanguity and all the church teachings. So if you'd like to see that, you can reference it. But I'd like to finish with a paragraph that I wrote in this paper back in seminary about this passage particularly about Jesus allowing divorce, some people claim. But here's what I wrote years ago. Since hardness of heart and human weakness continues, even within the Christian community, it seems that the possibility of divorce is also allowed to continue, but always with the recognition that it is not necessary because of human failure, and never as an automatic right to be justified as a mosaic command. Does this mean that Jesus declares Deuteronomy 24, verse 1 through 4, invalid? That was the passage where Moses said, you shall grant a bill of divorce. Does this mean that Jesus declares this invalid, that there is no such thing? Actually, no. Jesus doesn't declare it invalid. It was designed to control abuses of divorce and to protect the victims, like we said. If a woman is abandoned, why would a man want to keep his legal right over her? The bill of divorce allowed another man now to marry her, to take care of her. Properly applied, it can still have that function today. But the true impact of Mark 10 that we just read is to shift the focus away from divorce texts like that Deuteronomy 24 and toward marriage texts, the beauty of marriage that we see in Genesis 2.24. So the bottom line is this is a difficult thing in our society today. Divorce should not be given out like a credit card. Divorce is something that should first try to be separation maybe to see if spouses can change. And then if there is a valid reason working with your bishop or priest, then in certain circumstances they can look to see maybe if a valid marriage was not even there in the first place without, as I said, labeling children illegitimate. So is there reasons for divorce in the Catholic faith? Yes. But not just because I don't feel like being married anymore. That is not a valid reason. And so please go to your parish, go to your priest, go to the bishop. Every circumstance is different. Every marriage involves different sets of circumstances. So it's not possible for me to say here 
that you should or should not be in your marriage or because of abuse or threats to you or your children, you should remain, or that you should go just because you met somebody you like more. We have to be very careful here. Marriage is very sacred. Marriage is a gift from our God. So as Father Tyler said, let us not focus on the negativity of divorce. Let us focus on the beauty of what marriage is between one man and one woman. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Are you enjoying this podcast? I invite you to listen to more shows brought to you by the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content, which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit DivineMercyPlus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's DivineMercyPlus.org. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily Masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you.